Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a, it is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his, of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to, con who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and striving after wind. Whatever has come to be known has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell, for who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is the word of the Lord. I'll pay someone if between this, year, this week and next you do something with those lights. I destroy them. Um, let's pray. I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> Father, your word is so strange. And yet we hear it and it blows past us and we nod and we say amen or we, um, we shake our heads and we um, approve of it. And we don't feel the weight of it. We don't feel the punches to the gut that lay right behind these words. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you'd open our eyes, that you would punch us a little bit tonight. That you'd wake us up to the strangeness of this word, the 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 the, the reality how absolutely out of step it is with the air we breathe and the commercials we watch and, and the advertisements that that's, sit on the the, the sides of I-25 and the, the the spirit of a mall and and um and and announcements like iPad twos and iPhone sevens and and new cars and, and, and faster processors and better clothes. God, I pray that you would help us to feel the strangeness of Solomon's world. And God, then I pray that you help us to believe it. And to believe his words, to not dismiss his words. But God, before we get there, I pray that we would feel it. That, we, that we'd be, feel like we're, we're standing in an alien universe from Solomon's. And you call us to repent and have faith and sell everything for a pearl of great price and to do everything possible for a treasure hidden in a field. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There are challenges in this text. Um, a few months ago, we were mapping out where we were going to go in Ecclesiastes and how, how long we were going to spend on each text and breaking it up into each kind of weekly section. Um, originally, we'd taken um, the back half of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6 and put them together because um, they both deal with money. They make two kind of basic arguments, but they're both um, driving at the same idea, that, that, that pursuing wealth, pursuing possessions, pursuing money, that in the end, that's vanity too. That's vapor, just like everything else that Solomon has talked about. That, that um, We didn't feel like chapter 6 progressed the argument any further, and so we, we put the two together, and we're going to have like a little nice little two-point sermon with a nice closing deal, and it was going to be perfect. And, and then it, it struck me. That the reality is that, that what Solomon's talking about this in these two chapters, we need at least two weeks on it. Um, it's ironic that uh, I mentioned this last week that um, our first week in our new space was our first, absolutely first sermon on money, and our second week is our second sermon on money. Um, and so, if you're a visitor here and you've been here like the last two weeks have been your first weeks, I promise we don't talk about money this much. Um, but you need it. So, um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The, last week's argument, Solomon essentially said this. Look, like, um, if in the search for something solid, something lasting, something that, that, that's not vaporous, something that's not vanity, um, in the search for something like that, um, he turned to money and said, look, it can't be wealth. It can't be possessions. It can't be the things that money can get you. The reason why is because, um, in the end, you don't have any control over those things. If, if you... Keep your money in this investment just a little bit too long. There'll be a, a real estate crash. And who would have ever said that you would lose money in real estate? I mean, five years ago, really. And not all of you are into investments, but um, I know these things. No one would have said that five years ago. But, but, but now, like, everybody's losing their shirts in, um, in real estate investments. And, 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 and that's, that's Solomon's kind of point. Like, look, it can't be in money because money's too fleeting. It just disappears. You'll have it one day, you won't have it the next. And in the end, if you wrap up your identity, you wrap up your hope, um, your desires. I'm going to push this down. Is that okay? I can't see my wife's face, and it discourages me. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm going to break something. Um, Because of the lights, just so you know. If I trip, it's because of the lights. Um, (laughs) that, that, That it can't be wrapped up in possessions and money because... What? So, um, amen. And let's pray. We'll take me a um, so, so in the end, it can't be money. But now he, he, moves, he moves the argument just a little bit further, and he, he takes on first, by, he, he, he illustrates his argument by telling us a story, by, by setting two different options in front of us. And, and you need to feel the starkness of this. And I don't want you to dismiss it. Because it would be really easy to hear, once you actually hear what the argument that Solomon's making in, these first, in this one big first paragraph, the first six verses, it would be real easy to say, well, Solomon's obviously speaking in hyperbole. I don't think he is. So, so I want to tell you this story, and I just want to kind of let it sit there for a second. A man, a boy is born. He's raised in a good family. His parents love him. They uh, 
send him to school. They, they teach him. He's surrounded by people who take care of him, who care for him. He, he gets good grades in school, and people like him. They do. They think he's nice. They think he's smart. The girls like him. Everybody likes this guy. He does well in school. He does well enough, in fact, that, that he graduates high school. He, um, which, anyway, um, he graduates high school. He does well. He's still well-liked. He, he goes to college, a good college. And he graduates in four and a half years, which is less than most of you. I'm joking. And me. Um, and and, and he, he goes to college, and he gets a good degree. And then he goes, and he gets a good job. And he makes lots and lots of money. I mean, lots of money. I mean, so much money, in fact, that that, um, people would say that whatever he sets his eyes on, if he decides he wants something, there's nothing to stop him from getting what he wants. If, if, If a new iPad comes out, he buys it. And he doesn't have to rebudget his money or put it on the credit card. He can just get it. If, if a new car that, that thinks will be exhilarating to him to drive, he, he, he gets it. Um, he, whatever he sets his eyes on, he can buy. And people like him. I mean, he, he gets what he wants, but not kind of in that snooty way. Like, you know those people? They get whatever they want, and you're like, they get whatever they want. Well, this guy would get what he wants, but people would, like, name hospitals him. And schools and libraries. And they'd build statues of him in the middle of town. And, and, and he was honored and well-liked and he had lots of money and he had a family. He wasn't just one of those career-driven guys who, who all he did is work, 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 and work. He had lots of kids. I mean, I won't go, Solomon said he had 100 kids, but that sounds excessive to me. <laughs> so he had a lot of kids. And he lived a long life. I mean, he wasn't plagued with constant illnesses. He, he had a good family, a large family, children that honored him. Uh, he lived in the middle of a community that honored him, that, that, that named stuff after him. He, he was never at a place where he would look at something and say, I just can't have that. Anything his eyes were set upon that he wanted, he could have. He could just take it and buy it. And, 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 and his desires were met. And Solomon says, if that's all there is, stillborn baby's life is better than his. Really? I mean, what else is there? I mean, it's easy to take this story, maybe tweak it a little bit and say he was driven by money and he had everything he wanted, but he was mean to people and nobody liked him and he didn't have any honor. But Solomon says he had honor. Which means that that when you guys and I look at this man, we think, that's a good man. That's an honorable man. Or, or maybe if he just didn't have any money. He was an honorable man. He had a large family. But he didn't have any, any way to provide for his family. Then, then maybe that, that, that we can understand that. But, but Solomon doesn't say that. He has, there, there's nothing that his eyes desire that he can't have. Maybe he's one of those career-driven guys. You know, like the guy sitting next to you. He's just 
driven by, by getting the next advancement at work, making the, the, the next paycheck, getting more and more money. But, but he, he neglects his family, and he leaves them kind of on the wayside. He's just constantly traveling from city to city city. Um, he, he doesn't know his kids. He doesn't relate well to them. But he says he has a big family, a large family, a good family. You don't grow a, a family of 100 kids unless you're home. There are a few historical exceptions to this. Wilt Chamberlain, maybe, I don't know. Um, but just <laughs> generally, I mean, you can't be honorable and have that. Okay, anyway, sorry. But that's not what Solomon describes this guy as. He has money and all that money buys. He has possessions and all that possessions bring you. He has honor and all that honor brings you. He has family. And all that family brings you. And Solomon says that a stillborn, a stillborn child's life is to be more desired than his life. Because he lacks joy. And, and I don't want you to think that it says enjoy these things. I, I, I think it's... it's I, I want to draw just a, a quick distinction for you between joy and, and, and happiness. Um, I think because he says, look, all that his eyes desired he could have, there's a, there's a certain sort of happiness that comes. And when there's something you desire, you get it. And there's this immediate kind of satisfaction, right? It's a funny story that's going to make me look small in front of all of you, but I need to make the point. So for two and a half years now, I've wanted a Vespa, a scooter of some kind. It didn't have to be a Vespa. It just needed to be a scooter. I wanted the wind in my face without the threat of a motorcycle. Don't look down at me. And a few weeks ago, I got a Stella, an orange Stella. It's kind of like a Vespa, only cheaper. And I would ride around in the 40-degree weather, high 30s sometimes, freezing to death, but exhilarated as I rode my scooter around. There, there was an immediate sort of happiness at revving the little scooter engine and roaring down the street at top speeds of 35, 40-ish and, and feeling the wind in my face and my cheeks. It was, there was a happiness there. But, and I think, I just I want to draw, do you, do you understand the distinction between happiness and joy? Because it's a very important distinction for Solomon. There's a certain kind of, of satisfaction, not a deep satisfaction, but a certain kind of um, surface level happiness that's fleeting. That all of these things can bring you. I mean, get the pair of shoes you've been wanting for a long time and for a while you'll, you'll kind of walk with a, with a step, you know? Get the right car, get, get the right spouse, get um, the next pair of, cl- the next set of jeans that you want. Get, get the next things that you want, the wealth or the, or, or the, the possessions or um, to be esteemed by people. So, so when people come up to you, they, they say, man, you're doing a great job maybe at work or, or, or people look up to you and think you're a nice guy or a nice girl and they, they like you a lot. There's certain kind of happiness, certain kind of a little thrill that, that kind of comes and maybe thrill is too strong of a word. I don't, I don't want you to think I'm cheesy, but do you know what I'm talking about? Like a certain kind of... Um, I like that. It's 
endorphins getting released in your head and your bloodstream. And you, it kind of just gives a little lightness to your life. That's not what Solomon's talking about here. He's talking about something that's, that's lasting. That's not fleeting. That's not, as he goes at the end of this, he says that it's a chasing, this constant desire to find that feeling. It's like it's chasing after the wind. You, you, you think you've got it and then it's gone. And so he, he's talking about a man who, who has experienced an endless cycle of that kind of thing. A new iPad keeps coming to mind because they came out this week. So, sorry. If that's your thing, good. If not your thing, fill in iPad with your thing. What's your thing? Think about it. There's a certain kind of happiness, a certain kind of, like, mmm, that feels good, that tastes good. I've got, got a little, it's faster. It's like an A5 instead of an A4. And when I push the little little icon thing, it, it just, it's faster than the, the, the iPad 1, which it was, you push the icon, it's like, poof. And then the new one's, poof. And there's a camera. And I can take pictures of my face in various distortion. And I can play games with my son for about three minutes. And we'll sit in front of the camera and our faces will stretch out. And it's fun. And we can post them on Twitter or Instagram. And people will think I'm awesome. And they'll know I have an iPad too, secretly. And, and so there's a certain kind of, like, mm. You know what I'm saying? I think this guy had that, a lot of that, but no joy. All of his pleasures were, were, they were fleeting. As he rode his orange Stella happily, cheerfully through the neighborhood, eventually he began to feel how cold it was and how loud the engine was. How exhaust smells bad. And, and, and so maybe you need a windscreen on your Stella. Trust me, I, I won't do that. But maybe you do. Maybe you need a faster iPad. Maybe you need a better car. Maybe these jeans, they, they look great in the shop. But then I, well, it's Christmas and I ate cake. And, um, and so I need a little bit, maybe I need some 38s instead of 36s. And um, maybe, so then I need a new set of jeans or, or styles change. And so... Before, dark jeans, light jeans, um, kind of stonewashed jeans, those were cool, and it was really fun to get those. But now, dark jeans, are, in, are they're, they're the cool thing, and so now I need dark jeans. And, and so there's this kind of fleeting, always needing something else in our hands. And yes, there's, there's this kind of momentary happiness, this kind of this sense that maybe the vapor is taking shape in our hands, but then it's gone. Nothing lasting, nothing solid, nothing to build a life on. Solomon says, it would be better if you were never born than to live that life. Now, do you realize that that's a fairly accurate description of all of our lives? I mean, if you really think about it, 
in some circles, that, that life, the one, the one that Solomon just described here, wealth, money, honor, everything you've ever wanted, a good family, called the American dream. Better if you were never born than that be the description of your life. Let's push, it to, push into this a little bit. It talks about money. He says, whatever else is going on, money can't buy you happiness. <laughs> Actually, it can't buy happiness. It can't buy you joy. Think about all that you can buy with money. You can travel the world with money. You can live wherever you want with money. You can give whatever you want with money. You can possess whatever you want with money. Solomon says money cannot buy you something worth having. What else do you talk about? He talks about possessions. Think about um, possessions and money even together and how um, possessions, you can have the right house in the right neighborhood with the right crime level in the right school district um, with the right scenery, with the right view of Mount Evans. There's a house in my way. Let's move here. Perfect. Or if you want to Colorado Springs, you can have Pikes Peak. So possess the right house. Think about all that money and possessions can buy you. Security. New stuff. The right schools. Solomon says, none of those things make life valuable. Okay. Honor. That I'm esteemed. That, that I've earned the respect of my peers that people in the city of oh Brian he's a great pastor and a great man and a great philanthropist my wife just laughed at me (laughs) makes me sad okay Um, and, and he's educated and he's smart and he's good looking incredibly good looking and he um and he's honorable Look how honorable he is. Doesn't make life better than a stillborn baby's. Family. Lots of really good Christmases. Lots of, I, I mean, my, I, I love, love sitting in the, uh, in, like this morning, the dining room. I've got my Bible open and I can hear my kids playing and Hayes establishing the rules to a game he's making up on the spot. (laughs) But like it's out of a book. I love it. I I love sitting down at the end of a day at a table with my family and sitting there and and going around and saying, starting with Carson, because Carson's are always the most unique. And, and, and saying to Carson, my, my, my four-year-old, Carson, what was the best part of your day today? And it's always something ridiculous. A pink ribbon. Cookies. I love that. 
doesn't add lasting, joyous value to a life lived. Now, before we keep going in this text, verse 7, I need you to ask yourself if you believe Solomon. If you had everything he described here, and no joy, just a series of fleeting, happy moments with good things, good things. Money is a good thing. Family is a good thing. Possessions are good things. Do you believe Solomon? Be honest. Because you know that every commercial is designed by a lot of really smart, creative people to tell you otherwise. Every single one of them. Most movies are designed by very smart and creative people. And at its foundation, it's designed to tell you that one of those things, one of those in that list of things, will give you joy. You are literally, you and I are literally immersed, saturated, bombarded on every side from every, you can't even drive to Boulder without being bombarded on every side by promises that this will bring you joy, this will bring you joy, this will bring you joy, this will bring you joy. Um, One of my favorite movies is Good Will Hunting. And Goodwill Hunting tells you a lie. But it's a lie that's covered over with a couple half truths. I'm realizing more and more that that's an actually, it's considered an older movie now. Um, Sod. I mean, it's Matt Damon. He's still alive. Um, <laughs> but in the movie, Matt Damon plays Will. Um, you know Will? And Will is. Brilliant. Very brilliant. Much like BJ, guy read scripture. Brilliant. Um, and, and the job, he's so, in the movie, he's so brilliant that he could literally have any job he wanted. But he wanted to be an intern at Park Church. <laughs> he, he, he could have any job and make any amount of money. And see, he, he goes, and, and there's this whole scene where he's sitting in front of the NSA. It's one of my favorite, it's my second favorite scene in the movie. And, and he's sitting there in front of the NSA, and what is being offered to him is power, raw power. And he recognizes in that moment, that's not where joy is going to be found. That's not where meaning is going to be found. And so he has this long monologue that's hilarious, but I won't go into it. But in the movie, you can watch. You can fast forward to the scene and watch it if you have a DVD. Um, watch that scene, it's great. And so he, he turns down power. So there's a truth, right? There's no lasting happiness, joy, that the fountain of all that you're longing for is not to be found in power. Good job, Will. Solomon, right there in that scene. Good. And then there's another scene where um, a, a major company, a think tank of sorts, is, is offering him a job. And, and, and they're going to offer him lots of money. Lots of money. And, and so um, he doesn't want to even go to the interview. You guys remember this scene? So he sends Ben Affleck. <laughs> 
you're suspect. Okay. And so he, he sends Ben Affleck to the, to the, to the interview. And, and, and so it's this, this declaration in the movie that, that it's joy, happiness, meaning. It's not going to be found in power. And here in this scene, it's not going to be found in money or a prestigious job or honor. Good job, Will. It's like Solomon. And then it ends. And, and the way that joy is found is in pursuing a girl. I had to go see about a girl. And so you get in your clunker of a car and you drive to Princeton. No, is it Princeton? No, Stanford. And you go and get a girl. That's where meaning's found. Um, we, were, we tried to watch last night uh, Dead Poet Society. And, and there's two kind of MIG themes in that movie. One is, um, uh, oh, Captain, my Captain. Remember the scene? They stand on the, um, the desks. Tear out their books. Oh, Captain, my Captain. But then there's this other thing that he keeps, he keeps calling them to carpe diem, seize the day, seize the day, seize the day. And, and so on, on all these two, both these movies are saying, hey, joy is there. Take hold of it. Go get it. For Will, it's found in a girl. For the students, and I don't even remember the guy's name, whatever his name is. Dead Poets Society is really old. But it's Robin Williams, he's still alive. It's in good poetry and into caves. A bunch of guys sitting around reading poetry naked. <laughs> so there are two truths and embedded in lie. Do you know that you are being lied to everywhere? At least according to Solomon. Because right now, I'm pleading with you. You need to make a decision. You're going to make a decision. Either Solomon is telling the truth, or the commercials that, that are going to be on TV tonight, when you go home and you flip on the TV, or when you start watching basketball this week, they have really clever commercials, and they're all there to tell you one thing, seize joy by buying the right detergent. Joy is yours with an iPad and the right apps. Take it. Solomon says you can't. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. You may get that little tingle in your stomach. You may get, look at the, it's fast and it's awesome and I can take pictures. It's my giant tablet computer. It's gone. In seven months, Steve Jobs will stand up and the British dude will have the little video thing and he'll be like, We've put all of our years of expertise into the most perfect object ever conceived of by man. It will change your life. And, and then all of a sudden your iPad 2 is worthless. You smash it and then go get a 3. And you'll just work and work and strive and strive and just do anything you can to feed that insatiable appetite, that desire, that longing that will never be met by anything on this earth. You were made for joy. You were made for something beyond it. 
And so how many of you will leave tonight in the depths of your soul you'll be calling Solomon a liar? And for how many more years will you chase the American dream, the idea of wealth or the perfect job or the perfect family or honor or respect or the right number of amount of money in your bank account or a house in the right place or the right climate or the right music? How long will you chase those things and forever be driven by your mouths with an appetite that will never be satisfied because you were made for something infinitely more valuable? Solomon's observation of your life, if that's how it plays out for you, is that it would be better if you were never born. It's a sad life, a tragic life, a wasted life. So why don't these things satisfy It tells us, next section, verse 10, look with me. He says, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Everybody got it? Perfect, move on now. The idea of naming for Solomon for, for the entire Bible, it, it's more than just kind of, oh, I, like, I think Hayes sounds good, uh, even though people are going to confuse it for drug-induced state. Um, we're going to name our son Hayes because it sounds cool. It's, it's not that idea in the Bible. In the Bible, naming has to do with authority. It has to do with lordship. It has to do with a reign, determining what a thing is. And so Solomon says here that someone has named, has, has, has defined reality in a particular way, with a particular set of, of, of boundaries, in a particular way that it's going to work. And that you're not stronger than he is. He's named it. He's defined it. He's said this is what life will be about. And these things will never bring satisfaction. They will never bring anything lasting and joyful. They'll never do it. Whether you have a little or a lot, it will never satisfy. Someone's determined that the world will work that way. He's stronger than you are. He doesn't tell us his name there. Because he's already told us his name, and in the next chapter he's going to tell us his name. But I want to tell you his name. Is that okay? Just flip over to chapter 7. He says this. Consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Translation. God made it that way. I 
I need new stuff. I need a better house. I need a better car. I'm going to get a cool iPad. I'm going to get a faster phone. I'm going to get a Verizon faster phone. I'm going to get a better car. I'm going to get a cooler shirt. And I'm going to lose some weight so I can get an even cooler shirt. And then I'm going to stand right here and I'm like, but I was going straight. God bent it. And you can't unbend it. He's made the world that way. Doesn't that take you off? He's made it so that you can never have enough clothes. He's made it so that you can never thingamajig. You'll never have a good enough beer or enough of it. You'll never have a fast enough car or a big enough house. He made it that way. In other words, it's not just kind of a natural state of things. It's not just, oh, whatever. Um, like, <laughs> that was one of those moments where you say something that made no sense. You do it all the time, trust me. Um, it's not like, oh, like this is kind of how our hearts work and they're dark and they're wicked and that's just kind of what happens and it's not, that's not what he's saying then no, it's different than that it, it's it's almost as if solomon is saying look maybe in some universe it could have worked out that way like some of you really would have been happy with the right pair of jeans or the right car or the right house or the right living arrangement you, you could have settled on that But God didn't want it to work that way for you. He says it'll never be enough. I've bent the world in such a way that you'll never have enough. You'll never have enough security. You'll never have a happy enough family or enough kids or enough stuff or the right house or the right place to live. There's always just something else. There's just one step beyond that if you could just get it, if you could just taste it, if you could just, then maybe then I'd be satisfied. And and Solomon says, no, you can't. And, And you... You may spend your life trying to prove Solomon wrong. But you're not stronger than God. And you cannot make straight through the force of your own power, through your carpe diemness. Diem. How do you make that a verb? Carpe diem. You'll never be able to take it and through sheer strength of will straighten what God has made crooked. He's made it crooked for a reason. Let's go one last place. Matthew chapter 13. There's a whole string of parables here, but there's two that I want to look at, two very short ones here where Jesus is talking. Starting in verse 44. Is everybody there? Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his, what's that word? Joy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You will never find satisfaction. You will never find joy in the things that the world holds up to us and says that you'll find satisfaction and joy here because you were made for a treasure from heaven. You were made for a pearl of great price. And you know you found it because when you find it, you found joy, which is notably different than happiness. It's richer. It's fuller. It's not as fleeting. It doesn't go away. It's not a mere feeling or sentiment. It's like being in the midst of the ocean and finding a rock. We went to uh, Hawaii last year with Jenny's family. And, uh, um, you know, when you're the dad who has to impress the kids and so you're swimming around... um, because you're a really strong swimmer, um, as you can tell, very buoyant, and and you get out just a little bit too deep, and then a rocky wave thing begins to happen, and it's not like the normal rhythm where you can kind of float, but it's like a thing, and, and you can't touch the bottom, and you start to get a little bit scared because you're well, you're tired, and you're you made out to your son, and um, who's cheering for you. Um, he thinks he's like pointing, and lifeguards are pointing, and and so you're 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 and so you're swimming along, and 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 your toes they're, they're just they're like clawing at the ground for something solid. Or if you if you ski like I do, <laughs> um, and you ski, and you find yourself with really bad cramping feet, because your your toes are literally trying to dig a hole through your boot and the ski to find something that's not slippery. You know what I'm talking about? You don't. When you find that pearl, when you find that treasure, you found a rock. Something that's not moving. It doesn't mean life gets easy. It doesn't mean that you're just happy all the time. But there's just something there that doesn't move. And Jesus calls it the kingdom of heaven. Elsewhere he calls it the kingdom of God. And everywhere he calls it himself. You'll never find satisfaction in another gadget or a better house or more honor because you were made for Jesus. You were made to know him. You were made to obey him. You're made to walk in his ways. You're made to bend your whole life to to seeing him, to knowing him, and to making him known. Your life wasn't meant to be wasted on this this stuff that that every commercial will bar. says your life is is about this, your life is about this. It's about soap. About the right jeans, and it's about the right underwear. And it's right your life is so much more than underwear. It's so much more than tech gadgets. You were made for Jesus. And this is what salvation looks like. Not a life bent to get all the stuff that the world says you should bend your life to get and then sprinkle onto that, Jesus, onto that life. Jesus, as if Jesus is there to kind of be your big genie. 
to help things go well for you? And what does the text say? They sell everything. Enjoy to get him. Let's pray. Oh God, by your spirit, show us how trite, how small our lives are. Show us how empty and vain our dreams and our words are. How just noisy, gongish is the promises of this age, of the, of the TV set, of the movies, of, 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 the, of the next big release of, uh, of all the things that we are constantly bombarded with. And all, show us their vanity, their emptiness, their cloudiness, how we can never grasp joy there. Show it to us, God. And then show us the rock. Show us the way to joy. Show, show us the way out of endless appetite with no satisfaction. Let us come to Jesus. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to this table. Um, There are four different stations, and there are four different sections in the room. So if you'll come, take the bread, dip it in the wine. All of you who call Jesus Lord, all of you who trust in him for your forgiveness and your salvation, we invite you to eat with us, to eat and be satisfied. Let's celebrate.